And here we go with another episode of Sales Chatter today on Data Day. We are going to talk digital brokerage and how many carriers left the industry this month, last month. Well, let's continue this legendary sales talk with Data Day today with Dean Crook and Jeff Dickinson. How are you gentlemen doing and what is happening? Awesome. Awesome. Beautiful. Dean, digital brokerage. What are we going to start with? Are we going to start with the new uh, data on how many carriers left the industry? How many came in? Where do you want to start, brother? Let's start there because I think it, it sort of feeds into a lot of capacity discussions that brokers are probably having. I mean, broker numbers are down to about 5% year over year. <clears throat> so there are brokers exiting the industry because we're at the sort of bottom of that margin compression curve mm-hmm. uh, for for the non-asset side. But the uh, data this morning is kind of interesting um, on the number of carriers that are leaving the industry. I pulled the data this morning. So it's as of yesterday afternoon for the number of carriers that, entered and exited the market <clears throat> i think the key in word, october right yeah which and okay the word and is important right because it wasn't just all exits there was a uh the highest number of carriers uh entered the market sorry let me get that right uh yeah sorry reactivated so these are reactivations of old authorities this is a really interesting data point we had the highest number of carriers reactivating their authorities in october since May of 2021. Okay, so hold on. We so we're not talking. So we're talking carriers that were industry that deactivated yeah. their authorities at some point in time and now have reactivated. So you got you got three three sectors, right? You got reactivations, new authorities on the asset side, and and revocations, carriers that leave. And so mm. for for everyone a day, you've always got carriers coming and going. But what's mm. really interesting with this current data set, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this. I've got a couple, uh, but the 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 net of it is that we we lost about eighteen hundred more long haul carriers in October compared to September, which we predicted would happen because of the surge in diesel yep. post July four. Yeah. But the number of exits. Uh, was about 12,700. That was the third highest this year behind March and January, so a pretty high number. But the new carrier rates, so these are the number of new carriers that enter the industry. Uh, They've been steadily declining, not surprisingly. They're down 37% year over year. But Mm -hmm. reactivations continue to climb. They're up 23% year over year and the highest since May of 2021. So there's, there's, you know, the net of it is we've lost nearly 160,000 carriers in 12 months, but gained 132. So the net loss is about 26,000. So, so capacity, we're still on a losing, like, yeah, we're still losing capacity. Out. Yeah, but part of this is seasonality. I'd love to get your take on this because why would carriers be reactivating their authorities at an increasing rate, especially since July? And and I have a theory. It could be seasonality. Right, so carriers are aware there'll be more volume and, and capacity is leaving the industry. And maybe, maybe. Not, maybe. And maybe they maybe they see some optimism in the direction of rates and demand. Or maybe it's just carriers having a last go at this before they go out of business. You know, you know they've deactivated their authorities, been sitting mm-hmm. on the sidelines, driving for another company, reactivate their authorities, get their truck out of mothballs, and have a crack at it during this busy, busier season. So there's two theories that I have. Um, beyond that, I can't explain 
what carriers are seeing in the long haul sector other than seasonality and opportunity that's in the regional areas. Could it possibly be? And it, the first thought that came to mind um, was, you know, made some money in 2021. Oh, yeah. um, took advantage of being able to sell your equipment for double the price of what it would normally be, maybe did that. And now equipment's come down in price. So they're like, well, I made a ton of money. I may as well invest a little bit back and see if I can make some more in the next year and kind of give it that go. But have the, but have the, uh, the tractors gone down in price? I mean, I Yeah, used that. tractors have gone yeah. down in price quite a bit. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So like, like if you, if, if, and I, and I mean, you know, there's, there's two ways, Jeff, right? Like if you paid so much more for your tractor during COVID, you almost have to try and, and stay in business to pay off. You know what yeah. I mean? But yeah. I'm wondering if some of these people, and it'd be interesting if we pulled like a couple of dozen and saw when they canceled their authorities to when they reissued, mm -hmm. I'm wondering if they were some of the people that maybe were in prior to COVID kind yeah. of during COVID and then when they realized rates were about to drop, kind of cancel their authorities, sell yep. their equipment before equipment drops, kind of mm -hmm. like what people did with homes. They saw how that much homes sense. were increasing, they would sell. And yeah. I know three people that sold, made you know an extra three, $400,000 on their home because of bidding wars. Right. They took yep. money, put it all in the bank, rented a house for three years. And now that homes are coming down, you know, they made an extra 300, 400,000 on the sale of their home. They spent 60,000 on rent. So they're still up that 240 or, or 340. Um, and now they're going out and buying a home because the price mm -hmm. has dropped. Mm -hmm. So I'm just so wondering let if let me ask you this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let me, let me ask you this. If you sold your business and you got rid of your tractors and anything, right? Everything like that. Would you seriously come in back into the market the way that it is right now and take that risk? I mean, no, no, think no, no, about no. that. I mean, everything is question. everything is down. There's, there's. Mm -hmm. I mean, we all talked about it many, many months ago about how much money all these carriers made during the pandemic, and hopefully they banked it, right? Hopefully they they banked it, and they thought it was going to continue, and the market was going to go, and then all of a sudden it dropped through the floorboards, right? Where yep. to get this money? I don't care if they invested it or whatever. I mean, the house markets went through the roof, all of this kind of stuff. And still the market is down right now. So, I mean, mm -hmm. are you out of your mind to get into this business and reactivate, you know, your authority authority to do this? I mean, there's no indication. So, the Jason here, here's here's what I see. Here's what I see, though. Um, I look at it and I say, in the down markets is the greatest opportunity for people. And I, you know, you, you look at kind of just how it all works. Like you look at how many companies just became monsters during the 2008, 2009 economy collapse. And, and a lot of people didn't, I'm wondering if these people are reissuing their authorities, they have the money maybe to buy out companies or to buy out smaller, you know, two or three oh, owner off kind of thing. Yeah, something. I mean, yeah. I mean, if if you, I, and that's why I said it'd be interesting to see when they got rid of the authority to when they activated it, right? And I'm thinking if if you're, you know, in the industry, you get out at a really good time, you might be looking and saying, okay, rates are at a lowest now, but now I can get everything the cheapest. So if I get in the market now, I'm priming my position for when the market turns. Maybe. I mean, again, it's all speculation, right? But so, so to answer Jeff's question, I don't think carriers are coming back into the long haul sector. 
Mm. I'm absolutely convinced there's no opportunity there other than some regional areas where you could still do fairly well, right? So you've got to think regionally, not nationally. But, you know, for example, there was a shortage of trucks during the recent tomato harvest in California. They couldn't find trucks. So, and I think I've heard the same thing when it comes to apple apple cartage from the farms, you know, to the to the processing plants. Um, so I think there's there's areas where carriers are seeing opportunity. And I, and I come back to my two friends that sold their long haul reefers and are now doing auto hauling around, um, you know, Natick here in Massachusetts. Yeah. Um, I've looked at the revenue numbers because they sought some advice from me on their, um, you know, the P&L from the trucks that were running there. Um, these guys are grossing about 20 grand a month revenue, which is fairly good for an owner operator on short haul, but very low expenses because they're not, their mileage is not that high. That's true. So it's, so I think they, and, and both of those were reactivations of old authorities, but the authority was an interstate long haul authority. So I think there's, there's a bit of that going on. But I think, Jeff, you're right. I don't think anybody would be seeing opportunity in the long haul unless it was dedicated contract work mm -hmm. as opposed to spot work. You know, yeah. In the yeah. spot market, yeah. Yeah, There's like the final mile and stuff like that, super regional, regional deliveries. I can see that, you know. Um, yep. you, you do see that right now. Yeah. Which but could I be mean, part of the reaction. Anything like that really indicates, just like uh, Jason Miller was saying, I mean, there's no real indication that says, you know, there's a boom that's going to come real right. soon. It's right. not. It's not well, going to happen. And he wrote, I think, in JSC this week or even today that, you know, capacity equilibrium in terms of supply and demand is going to be a ways off because I think capacity is leaking out slowly. But it's it's. I think that hides the fact that it's probably leaking out faster in, in the long-haul interstate area where it's more volatile and it's, and it's probably, it could even be increasing in the final mile space. We just don't know that. We don't know the mm. breakdown of where those carriers are coming and going. So the net is we're still losing total capacity in the uh, in the for hire interstate spot market sector. But if you look at total trucks on the road, that's mm. still growing. Like total capacity in terms of number of trucks and carriers is still increasing very slowly. Like it's always increasing. It's just that some sectors are, in are decreasing, others are increasing faster than the average. Yes. Yeah. So that's why that that explains partly why spot rates are still bouncing around. You know, they're up one week, down the next. They're still bouncing around. Still no discernible sign that they're going to go up anytime soon. Although this week's data generally should start to pick up reefer capacity. Our short-term forecast have spot rates for refrigerated trucks going up until um, the week after Thanksgiving. That's a normal seasonal occurrence. Mm -hmm. I don't know how that'll affect dry van flatbeds. Just dead flat to down. Not a lot of good news there. Construction spending numbers up today, up about 10.4% on uh, non-residential construction. You know, construction spending up overall is up about 8% year over year. That's good news. It's not enough to move the needle because housing numbers are still way down. So flatbed's still having a very tough go of it. So that's You know, we're finding with, with some of our flatbed customers, um, it's getting the product. Right. Like I do, I do a lot of brick. And they're having huge material issues, like massive, never seen it, material issues like this, not even during COVID. Huh. Um, and no, everybody I ask, nobody can explain it. Huh. Like I ask all the companies like, okay, so what's the, like, cause I'm thinking, how can I get involved in maybe being part of the solution? Right. Can I, on my spare time source information or something? Right. 
And they're like, no, nah, it's just the material comes in. So like literally it'll be, I think this week we got four Wednesday, four Thursday, four Friday, and we're normally running five a day. Right. And for the last two weeks, there's been zero, zero loads have left the facility. And then they're saying next week we might move up to 15 or 16. Um, and then we're going to kind of in two weeks, three weeks, they're going to be out of material again. So it's going to drop. And it, it's, I'm kind of sitting there going, whoa. So there's, there's projects right. that are on hold because there's no brick to continue moving forward with the builds. And so it's, I found it to be a very interesting um, position to be in, if you will. Is um, it Canada or US? It's in the US where right. the manufacturing is happening and wow. it's being delivered into Canada for huh. building in Canada. But wow. um, it's an ongoing issue. Like there was one point in August, I think. What are we? We're in November now. So it would have been uh, actually September. The first two weeks of September, not a single load left the facility. What and then all of a sudden there was like 45 a week for the next three weeks. And then there wow. was none. And it's just like this huge up and down. And it, it's not employees. Like originally remember during COVID, it was like, okay, we don't have the employees. We got double the freight, half the employees. This is kind of, they, their employees, they said it's, everything's great. It's the raw material to make the product. Right. Huge issues. The raw material for bricks is sand. Sand and clay, I think. Right. Yeah sand and clay and yeah uh, okay that's interesting yeah and 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 so and here's the thing is we've got like where i live we've got three huge pits of like that orange kind of red clay that you see most bricks are made of right that like orangey red brick that just like a normal brick um we've got three huge plants near us and there's so many trucks coming out of those those facilities <clears throat> so i don't know what the uh i don't know what the oh reasoning uh, is in the u.s but that's interesting oh, it could it be that people are building more brick homes versus timber that would be up in the uh, northeast in yeah. vermont new hampshire with the cold right because the bricks right they hold in the heat yeah right and the cold as well and huh. it provides that shelter you don't really see too many you know, up near White River Junction in that area up there, it's all brick, all brick, brick, all it's over. Interesting. Yeah. I, mean, so, I was thinking yeah. about the alternative to high timber prices, you know, high lumber prices of years gone Indeed. by. Maybe that was part of it. Well, you know, like, so it was when, um, you remember, guys, remember when we had the polar vortex in Texas, right? Um, in Canada, it was almost impossible to get pools, yep. um, to get pumps, mm -hmm. to get all this stuff. So yep. people actually started moving to, um, a different kind, an ICS pool, right. an ICF pool, right? Which is literally like how you build foundations of homes. Yeah, um, yeah people, fiberglass ones. Yeah, fiberglass and ICF. And and yeah. so they started to, and also uh, container pools became huge. True. People using ocean containers as pools and, and like revamping them because we were unable to get anything. So people had to get creative. And I'm, I mean, it very well could be that, you know, you're, you're using more brick, you're pouring concrete in the brick to, you know, radiate the heat inwards and radiate the inward heat. And in, you know what I mean? Like it's, I mean, yeah. I know a couple of people that built homes with brick and straw in the middle of it um, and literally heat their whole home with a single fireplace. Yeah, like wood stove in essence, yeah. right? Yeah. And it, it's like everybody's getting creative on how they build and environmentally friendly and environmentally, you know, conscious yeah. about how they build. So I don't know. I mean, good, great question. 
anyone yep. out there that knows, please, by all means, yeah, join the convo. So I think the the sort of net of you know the data this week is that it's hard to nail down any sort of certainty around a recovery freight recovery until the spring of next year. There's no question that we've right. got no data points to support that. Uh, what I can say is that you know the, every time diesel surges, we you know diesel surged from July four. All of July and August, diesel went up, you know, something like 18%, right, diesel prices. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they kind of backed off a bit in October, July, August. September was flat, October down a bit, up, uh, you know, set up one week, down the next. But that ca- that surge in July and August, uh, as we predicted, would bite carriers in sort of that two-month period afterwards, which is why you've seen that exodus in October. We saw it last year in the summer. We saw it when Russia invaded the Ukraine. So the data point to watch is if this conflict in the Middle East widens and we start to see distillate impacted by crude oil shortages, you know, what what we lose with Iran, if it widens, we pick up with some of the other countries that are increasing production. So the the funny thing, it's not funny, I mean, it's it's unusual that the market hasn't reacted to the Middle East crisis in terms of oil going up. In fact, it's gone the opposite direction. So it's really surprising that oil and diesel hasn't moved based on the fear of this crisis widening to be more regional. So it's a data point I'm watching really carefully because that could accelerate the exodus of carriers again and maybe change when equilibrium arrives. Well, because also we're getting into winter too, right? So more people are going to consume oil to heat homes and that kind of stuff. And people are now going to idle their vehicles longer to warm them up. So then fuel consumption is going up. You would think that we would already be in that position where Mm. rates are starting to skyrocket. Not yet. Mm. Not yet. I mean, that's a Mm. northeast, north of the I-40 phenomenon, mostly the northeast where Jeff and I live, where heating oil is going to be a big deal. So do you think that they'll start fracking again if that happens, Dean? I mean, when you think about it, I mean, we have the largest oil, mm-hmm. you know, area uh, in the world. Yep. Um, do you think that that think, will trigger that? So. Yeah, I think that I think there's there's some signs of it on the Baker Hughes rig count. There's some signs that it's starting. Yeah. It's you know oil once if it just makes sense. The just, World Bank was talking about 150 dollars a barrel this week, which I think is maybe you know probably on the higher end of optimism so even if oil does hit a hundred dollars a barrel it, you have to think it would attract people back into the drilling business absolutely and uh yeah yeah logically i should say logically, think so. yeah. <laughs> but i think that the data point to watch is so there's there's upside and downside right if oil goes up so do fuel prices but car- carriers have got more stuff to haul right whenever yes. whenever you know Flatbed carriers in particular will be hauling more drill pipe casing, propants, machinery, anything to do with drilling holes in the ground. It, that they will a lot of hazmat too because they exactly. use a certain fluid, yep. which is hazmat, that they pour down yep. into these holes so yep. that the high-speed drills don't get locked up with exactly. a lock on it. Yep. Exactly. You know, so the hazmat industry is going to boom right. considerably if that does take place and it'll happen rather quickly. Yeah. And the guys holding the black oil out of the fields, you know, that raw crude, there'll be a lot of activity. So there'll be winners and losers, I think, but um, generally when crude goes up, you know, carriers do benefit. Um, So that's sort of, that's that's where we are this week. Uh, I think what'll be telling is on next week's show, when we talk about this week's data, if, if we're not seeing any, observable movement in rates, then that that might be an indicator that seasonality is just not moving the needle in terms of demand. We're just not seeing it there. 
So, so by uh, next week, we should have some movement because of yeah. U.S. Thanksgiving coming up and yeah. all that kind of yeah. stuff. Okay. Yeah. Normally. Okay. So at least we got a baseline for next week. You'll see some. I mean, regionally, you'll see tight capacity. You know, I, I talk about national numbers, but regionally, you know, the Diwali Festival of Lights next week in Yuba City in Sacramento, you're going to have a lot of Punjab Sikh drivers taking the week off. Yeah. And brokers that I talk to will tell us it's very hard to find refrigerated trucks out of Salinas, Stockton, Yuba City, that northern part of the uh, Central Valley, very hard to find trucks next week. Um, the biggest Diwali festival is in San Antonio. That's one of the bigger populations. So anywhere where the, and it's a different time each year, so whenever that festival occurs, you generally see very tight capacity for refrigerated trucks. And then comes and then comes the Christmas tree season in the next yep. two to three Road weeks. Salt and yeah. Yeah, all everything. that you're going to see heavy movement in that, especially in right. the uh, Northwest yep. territories, uh, in Carolinas, yep. uh, Northwest. I mean, Northeast as well. A lot of Nova Scotia. There's a uh, Nova Scotia blog post out next week. My local farm stand are pulling from Nova Scotia because of the drought nine years ago in Maine. Mm -hmm. It takes that long for the furs to grow. Um, yep. so, uh, but they're like, they're multi-drop loads. Carriers don't like them. Oh, yeah. multi drop. Got to have a leaf blower to get all the needles out. Like you can sit under a load for days. Like they, they want it move the day they cut the tree. Like you got to go yeah. as soon as they load it. That's why well, they got to deal with sap too, Dean. Yeah. You got to yeah. deal with all that sap, which is not oh, easy to clean out. Job. It's a oh, sticky job, God. boys. Not it's easy. You have to use a certain detergent to get rid of all that. Cold, cold. <laughs> Or live unload load like it's not it's, it's diesel not use diesel it'll get it off <laughs> yeah. um just don't light a match i said i remember a guy telling me, just use diesel i'm like dude you want me to use gas to get this off he's like yeah yeah, yeah. just use diesel it's all good i'm like yeah. okay right uh, goes, oh no man cleans uh, everything i'm like i bet yeah. um so dean what about we got six minutes what about digital brokerage what do we got to say about digital I think uh, this is kind of more jeff's domain but you know this is about relationships i think and trying to automate essentially what jeff does right so if you want to yeah. take all of the inefficiency out of the people side of our business it sounds good in theory but i don't i, I just i've never seen substantial efficiencies at scale in trucking because there's so much stuff that goes wrong like this, uh, oh, I, don't know, yes. I don't know how you automate the stuff. And, and just think about a trailer pool. Like, I mean, what did Convoy lease about 4,000 trailers? I, I think the idea of a gray trailer, I think it's called a gray trailer pool where you have a sort of a like a massive trailer pool that everyone accesses. I think that's a brilliant idea. I, I tried to get that going at Spiri on trailer telematics because I thought that if you could have a trailer pool that everyone could access, you could eliminate a lot of efficiencies and deadhead miles and et cetera, et cetera. The downside is that if you have a common trailer pool, they degrade really quickly because no one loves them. No one cares. And your CSA scores are going to go through the roof because they're all going to be falling apart faster. Mm -hmm. Unless you have a tightly managed trailer pool like ITS Logistics does in Reno, Nevada. Right? You've got to have incentives for the carriers to look after the trailers. But it's very hard to manage a trailer pool that, you know, is kind of trying to decrease that efficiency because I just, I could, even with trailer telematics, I never saw the efficiencies in a drop trailer program emerge. There was always inefficiencies and it was more a physical mm -hmm. thing because of the 
where where the last trailer was dropped on the front row. It was the first trailer picked for the next load. So the trailers at the back of the pool never got loaded, never moved. And they they, they go out of service in the yard, and then you got to yep. bring in a mobile yep. service to get them back oh. in service. And example. not only that, when you're doing a trailer pool and somebody else is hauling the trailer, your trailer brakes pretty yeah. much stop that truck the entire way to from origin to destination. Right. So, so great in theory, great in theory, but, um, you know, Convoy built a business around a very deep tech stack, whereas traditional brokers can scale headcount up and down pretty quickly. Very hard to do that with a tech heavy business model where you've got, you know, highly paid engineers that are very smart people. It's hard to scale those numbers up and down. Mm -hmm. But I think they, you know, what, what they started with was a wonderful idea that everybody else kind of picked up on like they were sort of the innovator and it didn't allow them to create um some sort of a moat around their business in yeah. terms of automation of all this three things i'll say all right for ai and ml one emotional intelligence mm -hmm. ain't gonna happen mm -hmm. number two god gave humans hearts and souls and there's a lot of empathy in this business mm -hmm. and a machine or ai will not be able to do that. I don't care. You can't buy a heart and soul. I'm sorry. Right, right. You know, yeah, if you're right. embedded into this industry yep. and you know it like the back of your hand and right. you understand tones, dialects, right. you know, body language, that's whole different. Machine language and AI mm -hmm. can't read that. I don't care what anybody says. And once that's gone, mm -hmm. you're going to miss a lot of stuff. There's, there's, it's going to be plus, plus I, I see a lot of people and, and, Excuse my ignorance if this is totally wrong, but I see a lot of digital brokerage as just for the people that just want the lowest rate possible, don't want to talk to anybody because they don't feel like either letting somebody down or they have no desire to negotiate. Just give me the lowest number and I want to pick the lowest number without anyone going, well, why didn't you pick me? How come? What can I do? Did I? And that's where digital brokerage comes in very handy is... Well, you can I mean, put a load out, you have five people quote on it, you choose the lowest person, the other four people have no idea where the load is or what happened, and you just kind of plug away from there. I think it's a good idea from that respect, but it's it's like Jeff said, how do you get a hold of a human when things go wrong? Because our industry has so many tentacles oh. that have to be covered during a freight shipment that a machine just can't cover, not even an AI chat bot or anything. Like, yeah. It's, I mean, there's a lot of clean loads you can match, right, with technology. There's a lot yes, of just easy loads, right? But that's kind of high volume, predictable, you know. Yep. When you get in outside of the, you know, freight that's sort of nice and easy to load and it's simple, uh, which I think, I don't know, I don't think it's the majority of freight. I think most freight out there has got some sort of a wrinkle in it that you haven't thought about if you're trying to automate it. I just say that from a driver's perspective because there's so much stuff you can't. Oh, my God. On the road so yep yeah you're, i think you're right about market timing too because you know if you're always going to come in and buy market share with the best price you know when the market turns that's going to be hard to move move those customers back in the other direction because yep. it's it's going to be around you know it's going to depend on what part of the cycle you're in yep i agree yes sir i agree Good day, boys. That was a lot of information, Dean, all at once. That was a good pack. That was jam-packed. We got. I got to make sure I stop booking meetings at eleven because I feel like we should have had a little bit more time to dissect. It always is, Dan. Come on now. I know. I know. You know what? I'm like Dean and I were talking the other week about how do we make the the data day Wednesdays a little shorter for people, give them more more of an impact and less of a time. And uh, I think we just like all drank from a fire hose there. So. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Enjoy. I hope I hope you're all uh, nourished. I gotta get and, a fire and, extinguisher, so I'll see you guys later. Yeah, nourished <laughs> and hydrated, my friends. <laughs>